I got a call in January, late January of last year, and they said, hey, will your, your machine kill COVID? So well, I can't tell you that, you know, that's you, you've got it out there for a different reason, not for this. And and they said, well, do some work on it. Calls back. So over that weekend, I got my team together. We wrote a five or 10 page white paper. We did a bunch of work on it. Ozone was used to kill SARS-CoV-1, the bird flu back in 2008. It, it's a great virus and bacterial bacterial killer. So um, called him back and said, hey, you've had a really busy weekend. Kobe's helicopter went down this weekend and they were dealing with that. Mm. If that puts it, you know, kind of perspective, I said, and you got your first case of COVID at the airport. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Scent Crusher. Scent off, game on. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, powered by DeerCast. This is episode number 202. I'm Tim Chelsvik. I'm Matt Drury. We got a full house today. We do. And the show is called Crushing COVID. And no better person to have in studio than Dan Drake from Scent Crusher himself. And we got Mr. Mark Drury, too. What's up, guys? How are you? Good. Good. You know, we're going to start. I'm going to be honest here right out of the gate. We had a late night. The three of us and Terry. It's oh, a good the, time. The RC, uh, RC helicopter field again. Yeah, Tim, flying that's exactly right. Night. Yeah, so it was uh, it was good. Dan came in a little early yesterday, so it gave us an opportunity to get together. And you know, we, we've been talking about it a lot on the podcast because we've had a lot of our industry partners in. We really missed the trade shows this year, and we missed the opportunity to get together with our good. These guys are not just partners, but they're they're friends, you know. And mm-hmm. that's that's the cool part about it. And so last night we had a good opportunity to sit down and have a couple libations and have a good time. It was a great time. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You know, it's like you say, we miss these trade shows. We miss the chance to see each other. So when we talked about doing the podcast, I was like, gosh, let me come over. So, yeah. Well, we appreciate you me. coming in. Came a long way from uh-huh. Wichita yeah. via <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> a little triangle. There. All the good things happen in Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then he kept us up too late. <laughs> Dan, were you at the Deer Classic? I did not uh, go to the Deer Classic. That was a weekend, a couple weekends ago. But I was up there um, to see my marketing guy. Gotcha. And spent a little time on his farm up there. So Chase, Chase yeah, yeah Rubline, yeah. and and that's that's the other cool part because you know Chase has been a, a great business partner of yours for really since, since the I beginning. started. Yeah, and uh, we've known Chase. You know, Mark originally was the first guy that met him. Dayton, how long ago? Gosh, 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. It's been a bit. So, you know, when they outside looking in, the industry might seem pretty large, but realistically, it's very small. And it's almost like a, your local high school, you know, everybody and somehow yeah, somebody's sure. got a connection to somebody else. And it's really how a lot of the partnerships form. Have you had Chase on? We have. Yeah, we have had him on. Maybe before you were on, but I've had him on. Great guest, not come back. (laughs) He'd be a super good guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We he's been. It's been a while. I'm almost positive he's been on. So we may not be able to get him. He's a he's a (laughs) pretty big deal. That's right. (laughs) Well, let's hop in. Time to get a contract. (laughs) And I know he's going to listen to this. So (laughs) throwing that in, blowing us up. Uh, So Matthew Grice from Instagram says, "LOL, you guys are hilarious. Love y'all's pot or y'all's podcasts are fire." 
that's uh, he must it's, be young. It's children talk for good. <laughs> Gets me through some long work days. LOL. All right, we got another shout out here from Josh Porter over on Deercast. He says, "Hey guys, good episode. Learned a lot from Austin. It was nice to hear exactly what he does and how big they actually are. Knew he was a guide, but didn't know it was a family business and on that much property. Very cool, and also cool to see you as part of the Drury family now." He was talking about uh, we had Austin Land Taylor's yep. husband on. Exactly so. why I arranged that marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Arranged marriages work. It is. Uh, he lives in Utah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do we got here? I'd like to talk more about arranged marriages, but <laughs> it's really not our format, I guess. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about what, what Dan's doing in the industry in terms of and we talked about crushing COVID from the outset. Like this is there's some, some innovation happening right now. Yeah. And I know we're going to have naysayers right out of the gate. And when you guys originally told me about it back. So we're a full year into the beginning of the right. pandemic, right? Like mm-hmm. today, as we film this, it's March 16th, our last day before we shut down D-Day. for a month. It was about this time, That's, maybe the 17th. feels like or, it's been yeah. five years. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we ended up coming back in, in May or whatever, but I know at, around that time, Chase, and, and, and the guys at Rubline had reached out and, and they were telling me about what you guys are doing in, in relation to COVID. And um, I didn't really understand the full breadth of it until you and I had talked not long ago and you just, you kind of really took me into the details of the testing facilities and, and the level and, and just how deep this thing went. And so I thought, man, this would be such a cool story to tell to the audience because as Mark said off offline here a second ago, if it can do that to COVID, what does it do to scent? What's it doing for me? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Like if it's killing that, well, it's killing a lot more than that. Yeah. So, so wh- why don't you take us in through the story, a little background, maybe start, let's go back from a beginning. Certainly. You know, it's funny. Everything is a progression, right? So, you know, all the years you guys have been getting better hunting deer and all that stuff we do, we go back to 2013 and I had a CFO whose son had run across an AstroTurf football field, fallen down, had a wound on his shoulder, got a staph infection. It's serious. A couple times a day, IV antibiotics, you know, to go through it. And at that point in time, we were making lawnmower lifts and barbecue grills. And, uh, it's not as much fun in the lawnmower lift world as you may imagine. Sounds like a hunting lot of fun. is a lot better. But so we <laughs> we came up with a solution at that point in time that we could use ozone, the O3 molecule, to kill bacteria. Um, so we went out and we hired a guy from NASA who had done the International Space Station, their water system, which is a closed system. You can't have any outside things going on. They didn't want chemicals in the space station. So they were using ozone to clean the water. And the the byproduct of ozone is oxygen, the O2 molecule. So um, we used him. We developed a way that you could treat AstroTurf football fields and uh, take care of that bacteria that sat there. Fast forward, we did that. Uh, and looked at that project and then went on and said, okay, what else can we do with it? And we knew that there had been some knowledge of ozone in the industry. But what we knew was that if you took ozone in a container, you could kill bacteria, odor, and smell in a heartbeat, 100%. And that's what we started doing in 2015. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, that wasn't all we did. So we went on from there and we said, okay, 
where else can we do it with? So now we do it in hockey, football, soccer, and the hockey stuff is really some of the worst. The, the hunters that we have in those northern states go, I use this bag for everything, you know? So hockey, football, soccer, military, tactical, so bulletproof vests, gloves. And then we spent more time thinking about how can we supercharge this ozone? How can we make the process happen faster? How can it be more effective? And we continued to have our guy on staff and we had a partner um, who was looking at it for first responders and how we could take care of it um, for carcinogens and fire and that kind of stuff. And we worked with that partner and we came up with a way to do it and essentially supercharge the ozone. So the process happens like that as opposed to over kind of a 15 minute period. So um, that's really the basis of how we kind of get to killing COVID today. So we've been doing this for seven years leading into the pandemic and uh, our machine sat at the uh, uh, Los Angeles emergency um, kind of technology center being used in another form. And then I got a call in January, late January of last year. And they said, Hey, will your, your machine kill COVID? So well, I can't tell you that, you know, that's, you, you've got it out there for a different reason, not for this. And, and they said, well, do some work on it calls back. So over that weekend, I got my team together. We wrote a five or 10 page white paper. We did a bunch of work on it. Ozone was used to kill SARS COVID one, the bird flu back in 2008. It it's a great virus and bacterial bacterial killer. So um, called him back and said, "Hey, you've had a really busy weekend. Kobe's helicopter went down this weekend, and they were dealing with that. Mm. If that puts it, you know, kind of perspective." I said, "And you got your first case of COVID at the airport." And it's funny to talk about one single case now, mm. as we've had millions. Yeah, but they had had one case in Washington. They were trying to keep it out of the U.S. and they picked up a second case in L.A. Uh, in January last year. He goes, "Yeah." He goes. We uh, we were in charge of transporting them and we came back and we put all their gear in their closet. Did it work? I said, I think it did. I think it kills it. So, again, that's January. Nobody got serious until March 16th, which is today, mm -hmm. a year ago, when they canceled the NCAA tournament, they canceled the NBA. The market was down 13 percent that day. I don't know if you guys remember. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> but that but it's essentially a year ago today where it became super serious. So a couple weeks later, we had um, Boeing Defense call us in Wichita, Kansas. There's a bunch of aircraft related stuff there and said, hey, our workers are still here working. They can't go home. We're a defense business. Mm -hmm. All of it has to happen here. How can you create a system that will treat all the air and office space that we have? So we started thinking about it super hard then. Came up with a system that we thought would work. Um, and then we're like, how do we get it tested? And as you may imagine, they don't just let the live virus floating around out there for people to test all over. Yeah. So um, we found a lab that had uh, it was kind of a government private lab that had the virus. We found out later that they were one of three labs in the entire country. We got tested in late May, early June on the virus and came up with kind of a couple different systems then that we thought we could use. So. It, uh, I think Clorox was in there at the same time we were. So to stuff. get, to put yeah. really put I in mean, perspective how big of a company, you know, that is, and you know, that, that's pretty amazing to me. That, that was the aha moment for me. I was like, holy cow, you know, to, to be in line and with, with a major corporation like that it was a Procter and Gamble. 
I think Clorox, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, that's some serious, that's some serious mm-hmm. business there. And, and it's, I mean, it's not cheap to do that stuff. We yeah. have lots of R and D monies, that whole process of seven years I mentioned, there is lots of R and D that essentially mm-hmm. has all flowed back into the hunting category. So what were the end results of the tests? So the end results of a test was we figured out that we could design a unit that would sit in a room like this, 1200 square feet, hit a button, walk out an hour and a half later, we could kill COVID at 99.8%. Wow. And not just on the surface, but, you know, everywhere air can reach, like a surgery center, sanitize a room. Um, The other product is we figured out we could use it in a container just like we do in Scent Crusher. So Mm -hmm. any bag, closet, tote, anything you have, put it in there, and we would kill COVID at 99.97%. Wow, that's awesome. How is that different then than the the, The the typical standard standard unit? unit, Right. Mm -hmm. So again, we've kind of figured out how to supercharge it. So we have, um, we figured out the right concentration of ozone in the certain size container. And then we've added humidity as well to that in the right concentration for the right period of time. So now you add water to this new system Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to these preset levels that allow it to be supercharged. Crazy effective uh, against all that. Which kind of makes sense. I know they talk about COVID being less, not virulent, but uh, spread (coughs) communicable during the summer months when the humidity Mm -hmm. is higher because apparently it just doesn't do so good when there's a higher humidity. Well, and I think part of that's heat too. And heat UV. beating that back, yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for what it is. As well. yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, and again, it takes a long time to do this stuff. So, one other thing that people don't really get is, um, you know, a lot of the technology and the R&D work happens at our factory, which is overseas also, because <clears throat> we use four or five great factories over there. I was literally calling our senators and House of Representatives trying to get a visa to send my guy back to the factory to do this R&D work. Mm. It took us about four months, uh, and we ended up putting our guy back in China in September. He is still there, still calling me to come home, actually, as we finish R&D on some of this other stuff. Mm. But uh, we sent our guy back to China. Nobody, nobody has a guy working in their factory overseas, finishing up this process and trying to figure out how we can bring those jobs back to the U.S. also mm-hmm. right all at the same yeah. time as part of those parts. But, yeah, you know, it's been just a long process. That's pro- probably, I think, a question a lot of guys listening would, would have. It's like, all right, so I, I don't know that... <clears throat> majority of people understand just how reliant we are as a country overseas in mm-hmm. the manufacturing process. It's not really something that until really until the last few years that that companies could even afford to bring back over stateside. Yeah. Now, when COVID hit and then manufacturing not necessarily stopped. It did stop for a lot of people, but when it picked back up, then the next issue was getting it back into the country. Right. So what kind of hurdles do you guys, you know, as a manufacturing business, what do you have to, what kind of hurdles do you have to get through to get your product back in? So, you know, through this whole thing, all the retailers have asked us to be just in time inventory because it lowers their inventory costs. So everybody tighten that supply chain. You saw it, you saw people run out paper towels and soup and all kinds of crazy things because those inventories were small. So what's happened is, is that's rippled through some component parts that you use there. It's also, there ended up being a large supply of containers in the U S but not back over in China. 
So just to get a container was tough, mm. um, let alone now that the demand has picked up to get a spot on a ship to come back over. They told me before I came this week that we have one container sitting there that's been on the dock since February 19th, waiting for space. Now, I'm not sure why that one container is because we've had probably 40 go since then. But um, and then once it gets to the L.A. port, the problem has been with COVID is the, there aren't enough port workers. So mm. it will typically instead of getting off the ship in a day, it may sit there for 10 or 12 days before it gets off. The truck's able to pull up to put it on rail to then bring it to your local Bash Pro Cabela Shields, you know, sure. kind of world. So I'm sure it's a nightmare to figure out your projections and and time all that out like so many unknowns that you can't control really especially when they're asking you to be just in time right <laughs> yeah it is you know and we're lucky you know as a private business you get to kind of run your own capital and, and do the right thing so we've tried to keep some extra inventories we've gone through it um but yeah it's it's tough to figure out all that stuff sometimes is it does it still make it just not possible to do these types of manufacturing stateside just due to the the cost of materials or the components. That's what I always hear. It's the component factor. There's a material, there's something mm -hmm. that is only over there, you know, a chemi chemical or whatever that, that you, you can assemble it here. But again, a lot of those component parts come from there. And, and I was sitting with about 15 guys that own businesses the other day. And they said, I make barbecue grills, but I'm waiting on this one piece of plastic, you know, through the component suppliers to screw the board too, to make the whole deal work, you know? So they're seeing ripples yeah. through all that stuff. Yeah. Unreal. And of course, pricing and, you know, all the rest of the things. That sure. Yeah. So kind of looking ahead from the plus unit, are, mm -hmm. are, are you suggesting that people use that for hunting applications or will there be kind of a transference of technology from that into the overall scent crusher? Line? So now they can basically use this unit in all their existing scent crusher stuff. Okay. So not only will it take care of all the smell, bacteria, sports-related things that sit out there, it also, uh, and be able to be used in hunting, but also if you want to take your electronics, your packages, your masks, stuff like that, and put in there and sanitize it, you can do that too. I know everybody's kind of got their own process and, and what they feel comfortable doing. So Sure. Mm -hmm. What does it do to, uh, like... Rubber or, you know, elastic. that's always a thing with, yep. with ozone, right? It's here yep. <clears throat> the elastic, you know, I'm thinking of like the, the bib straps, the bib straps on my nomad, you know, bibs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, what, what, you know, <clears throat> maybe dive into that. Yeah, like, why does absolutely. it do that? And what, so, what is the process there? So ozone will tear down a, a natural organic compound, um, which is rubber. So rubber is pure. It comes out of a rubber tree. So pure rubber, uh, it will affect. There are not that many things are pure rubber today. They're usually compounds of some type. Um, so if it is pure rubber, which sometimes you'll see in really, really thin elastic and maybe your, your nomad straps are like that. I know there are some other uh, guys that have changed it to more of a polymer. Um you know, synthetic that uh, it's not affected. So I haven't found it affect very many things at all in my world, you know, but take a pair of lacrosse boots. Would yeah. it, would it affect them or is that a polymer that it's not yeah, going to affect? It's not. Uh, yeah. So rubber, boot. you know, they call them rubber boots, but they're not rubber they're not boots. Rubber so I put yeah. all of my clothes in there and that, you know, I've got rubber around the sleeves and the, the, the base of the coat and stuff like that. And I haven't seen 
How about a, uh, I think the big one everybody looks at is like a a harness, you know, a tree stand safety harness. Like I always just spray mine down because I don't want to take the risk of it affecting anything within that system. You know, what do you think? You know, it, it, you, you hate to say something with safety like that without, because I haven't tested everything. So I don't think that's fair for me to say it's fine across the whole world because I don't know the actual materials each one of those are made out of. So I'm always Mm -hmm. better safe than sorry. I do put my own personal harness in there, uh, which a muddy harness and you know, it's got that, right. The, 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 the bungee, the bungee yeah. piece of it, yeah. and, and uh, I haven't had any issues with it. But again, I, you know, I hate to say it. I do. I always so spray mine down. Yeah, I spray mine <laughs> down with just in case. Who wants yeah. to test that? That's <laughs> the one thing I don't put in. Yeah, yeah. I've Same. ruined a, a, a lot of Nomad straps, but I won't put that muddy harness. I, I, I have put my harness in the ozone, and I've been very observant for the the crunchiness that you get when it like with the nomad bib straps yeah i've not personally seen that good it has crossed my mind what i think you see is if it's going to happen it happens pretty quickly Mm, so you'd see it after you'd see it after the first few cycles yeah that you definitely notice that it like makes your you know the elastic yeah like look like bacon or whatever you know it's just wavy and yeah you definitely see it pretty quickly it doesn't take too many applications but that's the only thing i've noticed that on the only thing i've noticed it on so i really don't have any issue putting our equipment or camera or any of that stuff in there but it's plastic and you know yep you know the other side of it is it it gets you two yards from a deer it can't smell you that's right you know it's funny again we were talking about all these other industries that we've been in and uh, i was down at at fort hood military base showing it um to the military guys and they had dogs in there that were in charge of of you know sniffing out bombs and different stuff and and we did some testing on it and it was amazing um Mm. that the, the dogs could not find the stuff once it was inside a bag so could not find it at all or took them a little bit longer. I couldn't find it at all. Really? Because I know in the past with, with other ozone companies in the industry, they've run like independent studies of scent blocker, scent lock type of material versus ozone yeah, versus. Yeah. And it seems like they could end up finding it, but it took a lot longer. Like yeah. it gave you, which we always say, it gives you that extra added 10 seconds you need. 15 or 10 seconds. yards or yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Once they shut off the bag so the generator wasn't running, uh, they could find it within three minutes. But but you essentially had shut off the technology. Gotcha. That, so that as, the, as it's running, they just couldn't pick up it. on it. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Cool. I mean, I've seen it hundreds of times in the deer woods. Like I'm, I'm your biggest believer in the technology. And I mean, we just, we're animals about scent crusher every yeah. day regiment. I mean, in the blind, we have ozone with us and it's amazing what it does. Yeah. I pretty much lived out of my covert closet this past, this past fall. Cause it was so easy to throw in the truck, let it crush and then leave here and hit the stand and every, you know, everything's in there. It's big enough to fit everything I need for a hunt and it's crushing the whole time. I'm yeah, waiting to get we it. Had, there's that residual ozone that stays on your clothes as you go to the stand sure. and are there using it. Yeah. You kind of grow to actually like the smell then too. That's one thing that, you know, 
Um, you well, really, you really like to see, you know, it's like, oh man, I did, did I crush it good enough? And, Autumn has a new smell. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like its own zone. Yeah. You're like, there's a mental association that's happening. Like oh, yeah. as, as a kid, I remember the smell of my dad's gun case. I remember the smell of the gun cabinet and the sounds that it made opening up early in the morning to go up for squirrels. And I just wonder how many people not like in this generation, they're association with hunting is going to be ozone because it's happened to me. It's interesting because I think, you know, probably around 16, 7, 2016, 2007, when you go to a camp, you'd start seeing the bags everywhere. It was like, then you went to a camp, you couldn't not see a bag. A lot of people really, you know, jumped on board there in those first few years, I feel like. And it's just, now it's just a part of camp. You see it. Everybody's got some sort of, a lot of people have some sort of ozone that they're running to. It was so exciting last year to redo the whole line. So that first year we did it in 2015, you kind of did with what you thought would work and Mm -hmm. was easy to produce. So to be able to come back last year and redo it with the perfect zippers, the perfect pockets, the perfect size, the backpack straps, the closet, you know, a lightweight techno fabric, all that stuff. It's beautiful too. Has been uh, really aesthetically well, pleasing. You know, the Halo, the actual Halo unit, unit which yeah. is the newer unit, affordable. It's, I mean, it's way stronger than it was. That that's the the cool part. The battery lasts longer. Battery life is awesome. Battery it's, lasts all fall. <laughs> it's amazing how long that battery. It's crazy. Lasts. It's crazy. Yeah. So so what's that battery rated for? For how long? Yeah. It, it, we say four hours, but but I'll tell you, far it, 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 it's. It's six, seven, eight. Yeah. I think it's a long honestly. time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the, uh, someone getting their hands on a plus unit, are they on retail on retail shelves now? We we are ready to launch that stuff next week. Actually, oh, so good. they aren't on retail shelves yet. We literally got them in last week, so they'll be headed to retailers. You know, as they reset fall hunting sets, probably in mm-hmm. June and July. Okay. But uh, we'll have them available on our website until then, if somebody'd like one. And awesome, yeah. So Great. it's again, you two hundred forty nine dollars. So. Um, it, it's priced right, we think, to be able to take care of COVID as well as all your other hunting and sports-related stuff. And you said like you, that unit will be able to swap out with your existing bag, with with a closet you might have. Like You'll be able yes. to use that new unit and all your other gear. Absolutely. What's the safety side of it from a perspective like, you know, for instance, the the unit that you put in your you know truck, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know that that thing like will kick off after so long from a just I'm sure there's some sort of health guidelines or safety guidelines of how much you want to intake. Absolutely. Or right. So, so, you know, again, that's the other thing is we focused on safety the whole time. So the unit that can go in your truck or in your house puts out an amount of ozone that is below uh, the levels that are considered harmful. And we put them on timers to make sure that they shut off mm. in case they get in a small space. Um, the ones that you use in your closet or in your bag um, are are not made to be around you. So you wouldn't want to take your your one that you put in your bag, put it in your truck and drive down the road. You know, sure. It's made to go in a bag to seal everything inside there and do that. I, I, OK, so this new the new plus unit <clears throat> say, you know, this is I said this on the phone the other day. What I find interesting, like my wife was always skeptical of it of the technology just didn't understand it right she's and skeptical of everything yeah <laughs> basically of me ain't a guy tell her it's not Which believable i can't blame her in some respects <laughs> believe me it's been a long road of, of why she has this opinion so she says uh you know like 
not not long ago, a couple months ago, she wanted the the little disc, the new unit for in home or to plug into a bathroom or whatever. Yep. She's like, hey, you do you have one of those? I was like, yeah. So she's like, why don't you bring it home? Because we had, you know, she's whatever using an air freshener or whatever. And yep. she's like, I, I don't know. She's like, I just feel like this isn't. I don't know. I, I want to try to clean the rooms or, or whatever yep. when we're gone with it. And so we started using that, and I'm th- I think to myself, it's like, well, if if she's starting to think that way, and I'm sure it's COVID related, you get inundated yep. with all this stuff over and over and over. What if we had this plus unit? Do you, you set it up, you leave that like, Hey, you set it to go before you like in a big, bigger room, like how long would you need it to run? Or the, the plus unit is not made for a room. Okay. It's just made for a closet or bag style stuff. We are working on a unit that you could put in your room, hit a button, walk away. But again, it'd be a much larger unit made specifically for the space to be where it is. And, you know, the crazy thing is we knew that ozone has the ability to kill virus and and where it is. This particular virus we tested with just ozone over what we thought was a pretty long time period. And uh, it only killed 6% of the virus. So just standard ozone. Standard ozone is not effective enough on this virus. Whereas once we supercharged it in our manner, we killed Mm -hmm. 99.97% of the virus. That is. That's very interesting. What was the unit you sent me? There was a big blue unit. I had some issues up there at the farm when when we had the water leak and we had some smells I wanted to get So that was kind of just a, a... giant ozone generator that you, I think you were using on some mold or something yeah. or, or smell yeah. that you had yeah. in a basement. And uh, yeah, that's, and, and ozone has been used in that manner. Like you have fire restoration, that kind of stuff. They'll come in and they'll, they'll seal off a house and use it that way or sometime mm-hmm. in some mold situation. It really yeah. worked. I mean, incredibly yeah. well, uh-huh. you know, cause I had a, a water leak in the house and the water sat there for a while. It was out on the Missouri farm and ended up with a musty, you know, smell. We had to redo the house, but the smell was still there. So I went in and killed it before they finished the redo room by room by room. We do it two or three nights in a row, the same room. And I mean, it just eliminated it, made it smell new again. It was incredible. Yeah. And you know, we'll, I, of course I know all about it, but I use it for, I would say everything, but you know, you're outside around a fire, you know, and you're, your yep. jacket is mm-hmm. smoky. You throw it in there. You got guys that are smoking cigars around you or something like that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's way easier than washing it and actually is, is more effective. Yeah. So. Have you heard any anecdotal evidence about what it does to ticks? Like if you get a bunch of seed ticks on your pants, you throw it in, uh, in the closet, does it do anything to them? Um, in really high concentrations, it can be effective against insects. We have not tested it in that manner, okay. so I hate to to speculate. Sure. Exactly. My guess is we, they'll survive. Yeah. Just a gut. <laughs> One, gut. Explosion, they'll be there. <laughs> One question we do get a lot is, though, some of the pants or you treat stuff with permethrin, mm-hmm. and if ozone will break that down, and oh. it will oh, break okay. down that because, again, it's trying it's organic. to, to I tell organic you what, and clean it all. We'll up, destroy so. a tick and in a hurry, and that's a microwave oven. Oh, really? I've done that. It absolutely works like a charm. If you get full of them, <laughs> stick it in there, and they're 10, 15 Gross. seconds, they're yep. dead. Yeah. Is there a bag of popcorn in there? No. No. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> no. Well, I put it inside another bag right, and just yeah. microwave it, and they're all dead. They just fall off. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone making bacon in the microwave or something? Uh, gross. <laughs> no, it's just. Uh, so, so in the spring, you kind of, if you are using permethrin, yeah. don't throw your pants and your in, into a sink crusher closet. Right. You'll have to retreat them afterwards. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. 
Good to know. Huh. I think you had told me that one time. That's that they're they kind of work against each other a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. So hmm. anything else that we need to know while we have the mad the, the mad, you uh, know, the mad scientist um, here. I, the, you, the actual one. Yeah. As you know, I mean, we again, we're bringing all this stuff back here and we continue to work on stuff in other industries that we think are fascinating. Um, and we'll just continue to bring it back to the hunting industry. Just, sure. Because that's where it should be. So. Yeah, the word science is kind of thrown around pretty loosely in the hunting industry sometimes when it comes to technology. And it, yeah. it's, ni- it's nice to hear the background on this is actually like certified labs and, and using real science with real results. I always think about a company like Analogics. We talk about it, you know, that yeah, they're part of the yeah. industry. They, they have a lot of people that are just kind of, th- hey, I use this and put this formula together. Yes. It's a formula of, hey, it's corn and whatever, sugar, sugar and whatever whatever else. And this really works. And then you have a company like Analogics that actually have scientists in a <laughs> giant a, lab, a giant testing lab and, and lab yeah. coats, it, formulating. Yeah, yeah. They bring back what they find from the pork industry, the cattle industry, right. the whatever, and they bring it and, and put it into the, the herd health for, for, Whitetails, pretty incredible. So I liken that to this, you know, and and it was about the same time that those, both of your companies came out. It was like, it was kind of a, like, holy cow. Pretty similar. Yeah. For us, when we, we got to meet you guys and it's like, wow, finally, you know, something that could sink your teeth into. You spend all that time in the woods hunting and preparing and working towards it. Why wouldn't you take every advantage? Of being able to do it that way, and it saves you time. So you're not washing your clothes, you're not tearing stuff down. It's 15 minutes. It's perfect before you walk into the woods, and you haven't spent five hours washing it. So you save time, and you the technology for all that time and energy. And if you're like getting ready, Tim and I, yeah, you can just Handsome. continue to. <laughs> Put your clothes in the bag over and over all fall and really not have I to wa- wash it once. I wash once. my clothes I don't maybe wash mine. twice. I said that to Mark I'll once. See. He's like, it's because you're not killing anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if you get blood on it, you would actually have to wash that it. That was his point. Yeah. Yeah. Mark. <laughs> Didn't mean anything by it. <laughs> we, not, we can't all be good hunters. <laughs> nope. It'd take away half the fun. What, what's, what do you always tell Kundog that everybody's the... Well, some are gatherers. Some Indians are gatherers. <laughs> he's, he's a Native American yep. heritage. Yep. Some Indians are gatherers. <laughs> That's Tim and I. Poor coon dog. Poor us. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got our buddy from Dalton's got a question for us. All right. The question of the day is brought to you by Victory Archery, the carbon arrow experts. Hey, guys. This is Dalton from Missouri, located about an hour south of St. Louis. Uh, I got a farm that's about 250 acres. It has 90 acres of tillable. The rest is a mix of water, creeks, uh, good cover, brushy timber, and some good mature timber. My question is, what is an, a sustainable herd population that you want as far as deer per acre on a farm such as this? It's about half food, half cover. The It's the only tillable within 5 or 10 miles, the only row crop in the area. And just like to know what is a good sustainable amount of deer to have on a piece of property like this. So any, any good answers would be awesome. And thanks for having the podcast. Love it. 
Thanks. We don't specialize in good answers. <laughs> we'll defer to Great Mark question. and Dan. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a challenging question because he said it's the only tillable within miles. So I suspect sucking it, them in. it's sucking them in, you know, the point that it, it may be over a, a, an appropriate carrying capacity. My suspicion would be that, that along the edges, they would have a, a lot of... <clears throat> Excuse me. My suspicion would be that along the edges, they have a lot of deer browse pressure. But in, in a general rule of thumb, 25 deer per square mile, which he's dealing with, what did he say, 250, 250. acres? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you maybe, a, you know, you're a third of a square mile there. So maybe eight to 10. And I'll, I'll bet you that that farm's probably closer to 25, you know. Yeah. Um, but they say 25 per square mile is a fairly high deer density. So it's a tough question to answer because, you know, they change throughout the year as well. You know, he may not have many deer there at certain times of the year and then other times of the year they're all there depending on palatability of whatever's planted. Mm -hmm. It can change from year to year with crop rotation too, you know. What's it like with beans? What's it like with corn? What's it like with millet? Yeah, what's it like (laughs) with... What is it like with millet? Uh, They disappear. (laughs) Yeah, so... the, the herd is is ever changing and ever flowing and and those types of questions while they they are rooted in science and and ap- actual application they're very difficult to answer you know you can take um, surveys and look at your overall deer population I've had farms that I'm like I really got to take the deer numbers down here and we didn't quite do it and then the next year there are, you know there's a a third of the deer that were there the previous year. A lot of it has to do with crop rotation, mm-hmm. mass crop, you know, sustainability, what it's like that year. So it's a, that's a difficult question in my opinion. I think your best, the best thing you can do is hunt it and try to do it as wisely as possible. And rather than look at overall deer density, I like to look at overall herd ratio and let that be mm-hmm. my governing yeah. uh, deciding factor. You know, they're born at a one-to-one ratio. And if I'm seeing 10 does to every buck on my trail cameras and also my actual sightings, then I'm going to try and balance things out. However, if I'm seeing two to three does to every buck, things are in pretty pretty good balance there. If you can get two to three deer, two to three does per buck, you're, you're doing better than the vast majority of the whitetail range. Certainly. Dan. (laughs) I have nothing. Dan, follow Mark. Well, that's what I was going to say. I I hope I gave him some insight to that. So look at your overall herd ratio, as opposed to trying to figure out what your overall deer density should be, because it's very difficult to put your hands on yeah you can look at the underbrush and see the brows Brows, and 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 what's going on and knowing that they're hungry you know but to not have any other tillable around you is i I would love that situation right (laughs) yeah you got every food source yeah Yeah. so i I think that sounds like a great farm the other thing he's in missouri so i know the missouri department of conservation offers land consultation so he could have a, a biologist come out and take a look at what he's got and give him a little more kind of boots on the ground um consult no doubt. I don't know if his county is is open to their DMAP program, which is new. It's a pilot program. They're talking about launching it statewide at some point. But we were able to enroll our farms in it up there in North Missouri. And it really did help us understand the overall ratio and try and take the, those doe numbers down. So uh, check into DMAP and see if it's open for your county. Sure. Okay. All right. Wildlife word. Dan, you're in for a wild ride here. <laughs> it's brought to you by Scent Crusher. Scent off. Game on. Okay, it's another multiple choice. About 5% of female turkeys have this feature. A, a bad attitude. B, monocular vision. C, only one nostril opening. 
or D, a beard? Hmm. Bad attitude, monocular vision, one nostril, or a beard? Dan, we always let the guests go first, mostly yeah. so I can choose my answer based on theirs. Go ahead. <laughs> Appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I don't know anything about the vision or, or opening, but you know, it's what always about the special bad if it's bad attitude. <laughs> that's 100%. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd say beard, but that's only because okay. I think that's probably my dream is, is to kill a, a beard at the end. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? I would guess beard just because I'm unfamiliar with the other two. Okay. <laughs> what does monocular vision mean? <laughs> they only have one eyeball that works. I'm going to go with beard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> beard is right. I knew it. Nice oh. job, guys. <laughs> Woo. You're all winners. All right. I have nothing <laughs> in life. Everyone gets a scent crusher ball cap. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Which would say five out of a hundred that you see would have a beard. And that's probably pretty close. In all reality, you see quite a few bearded hens throughout the years. Quite a few. That's math at work. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also one out of we, 20. Uh, yeah. Not everybody can do that kind of math, Mark. No, on top of his head. He, had, he was no, doing no cipher in there on a calculator. You know, it's funny. Yeah, you talk about deer density and then and turkeys are the same way. So in the Kansas, the population started kind of in the mid-1980s and then they grew and grew. And we had a huge number of turkeys till about four years ago. And I don't know if it was a disease or something that went through it, but boy, they're about half where they were, you know. Nationwide, uh, yeah. so drastically. I mean, it's it's really a, there's a lot of f- factors that lead into that. I, I personally think it's an expiration. That's my personal belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things that, that go into that. We, we had Dr. Mike Chamberlain on and he talked to some of this, these specifics. And uh, it's sad to see what's happening to our turkeys. Where'd the quail go? You know, that happened before we used to have. You know, millions of quail. Yeah. Now they're very hard to find through many ranges. Our quail have come back in Southeast Kansas. Good. You know, that's good. But, um, is it, is it have to do with, does, is there some part played from just general expansion of urban areas or, you know, suburban areas or, you know, not having the, the certainly on the ground of certainly, but I've hunted some places with incredible habitat for thousands of acres, mm-hmm. you know, down there in, in Georgia, where I go, you, you wouldn't find better habitat than what they provide. And, uh, it's just, you know, the turkeys aren't, aren't close to what they were in the mid nineties, you know, maybe a, a, a tenth of what they used to have. Now they're coming back a little bit because they're really working on those ground predators, but I think it's nest predation. Do you think NWTF, or other organizations like that. Well, you know, they were such a huge part in the, the restoration. The restoration. Are we to a point where it's kind of like time for a resurgence? And, you know, and I, I shouldn't speak on what they do or don't do because I don't know how much they do on a daily basis. I'm sure it's endless, but certainly you would think like, hey, here's this organization and that seems like it's built for this. And, and it really created the current wild turkey population. For sure. And if anybody's going to lead the charge, it's them. Although they're they're going through tough times yeah. with COVID, you know, all their banquets got wiped out. So sure. that was their primary fundraiser. Uh, their national convention got knocked out. So they're, they're going through some 
troubled times, but they're they're going to get through it. But yeah, if, if one group's going to lead the charge, it'll be the National Wild Turkey Federation. And then just people at the local levels talking and trying to do more. We're certainly trying to address our nest predators. So I think, and maybe you can speak to this, but if you want to make a donation to something like the NWTF, you know, do you go to their website? Sure. You know, if, if all these banquets are kind of have been shut down because of COVID related issues, is there still a way to put your money where your mouth is. And yeah, I mean, just, just being a member, I think memberships are 35 sure. bucks uh, a year. So and they use those membership fees to fund the habitat yeah. work. And, and most of these issues are, are they're multifactorial, right? There's there are multiple pieces in there. And I could, I love to see like a wildlife biologist kind of crank out a list and there's probably one somewhere, coyotes, possums, raccoons, and then yeah. Mark Drury's somewhere in that. <laughs> 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 list of factors. Yeah. Honestly, though, like, you know, people talk about deer management. We 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 work on our turkey management. We honestly mm. do. We have a table that shows every farm that we hunt. We keep track of how many jakes we see on that farm. We keep track of how many gobblers we're hearing and then how many we killed. And then next year, we'll look at our, like we go into the spring this year, we look at our list from last year and go, man, there was a pile of jakes over here. We killed two gobblers off of it. We should be in good shape. And then we compare notes to see if the population's remaining stable, dropping, increasing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's farms we just lay off of, you know, in terms of that. So we actually manage our turkeys probably a little bit harder than we do our deer because they're so near and dear to us. What's your trapping regiment look like then? on all the farms. We've got people that help us trap. And then yeah. when we have time, you know, Wade and Perry also do some trapping as well, but it's, it comes down to time and expertise. Right. So it's, it's always better. I think to enlist the help of someone that really knows what they're doing and say, here, here's the farm, go, go get it. I've got a guy that comes and does mine every year. And really I started it more for deer. Cause I, I mm. you know, you spend all this time sure feeding them and raising them. You, you don't want the fonts that get done, but I guess that's a good point. Probably helps a lot on the turkey side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but the target's a little different. You know, we're targeting raccoons, skunks, and possums yeah. more so than coyotes or, or bobcats. Because mm -hmm. I think that's where the problem is. You know, they're getting those nests and just tearing them up. Well, we should remind people that if they'd like to come hunt with Mark and Terry, they can do that potentially. If they're the winner, they can go to DeerCast and uh, register for the. What if I do that? Hunting? Yeah. <laughs> what if they want to go turkey hunting? That's right? up to you. Because <laughs> because uh, so so we've got the hunt that's supposed to happen this fall. So yeah. you could come hunt with Mark and then go hunt with Terry. We picked a winner late June, I think. Late July. Late July. Mm -hmm. Two yeah. days each farm. Yep. Yep. Wow. Any weapon, weapon of your choice. We talk about it often. The Adelaide would be a great choice. <laughs> Mark is a devotee. <laughs> Loves hunt the beauty. Saddle with Adelaide. <laughs> Mark would look at me like, what? <laughs> Don't. Wow, what a special deal so, to be able to hunt a farm like that and and pick his brain, you know? Pick both their brains. Not much left up there. Uh, I hope just, to win. I, you know, it was the neatest deal a couple of years ago when, when you guys gave away that farm, you know, and they were just neat people. We were talking about it a little bit last yeah. night and how much they've used it, but they are awesome people. Yeah. What a family. Yeah. Dan, we, Jenny's in DeerCast all the time. Yeah. And Dan was, the, the cool part was, so at the ATA show every year, uh, for those of you listening that have never had a chance to go, you know, you have all these vendors, <clears throat> manufacturers throughout the, the floor, the trade show floor. And 
over the last, I'd say probably three or four years, Dan and Chase at Rubline and, and their crew, they put together these giveaways and they, it becomes a rock concert over at Dan's side of the, the trade show floor. And uh, so we, we partnered up and we wanted to do the announcement the year before we gave the farm away, we did the announcement over at your booth. And then we gave the farm away at your booth. And it's such a cool experience. It was the coolest experience. Like give you goosebumps being there. So many people, just a sea of people in every direction. Oh, we had 4,000 people around you that day. It, it, was, it was cool. Yeah. It was a really neat experience. So I think there's, I'm sure there's a video somewhere of that announcement, but uh, such great people, uh, Denny and, and his wife, that uh, family that won that farm. So we've had him on the right. podcast a couple of times. Yeah, just uh, six or seven episodes ago. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Was, we need to do it again. All right. Well, Let's do this again sometime. Let's Maybe next it. week. <laughs> I'm, for me and you, I'm sure we will be. <laughs> I can't thank you guys enough for uh, being great partners and for having me here today. And Our pleasure. It's, just, it's good to catch up. It's so, a cool story. You. It's uh, it's. I thought very pertinent to our uh, listeners and, and uh, I thought they'd enjoy it. So we appreciate you jumping on and, and kind of sharing your whole story with the company with us. hundred percent. So, thank you. There's, there's four or five things that have really changed the way I hunt in the last decade. Trail pictures, box blinds, food plot blends, scent crusher. I'd, I'd put those four in terms of like shifting the way I hunt and how I do things. Those, those are the top four in terms of what's really changed the way we hunt. So for whatever that's, that's worth. For wow, Mark, you're going to make me cry. I don't I'm know. telling you. I'm <laughs> telling you. Great compliment. And, and each one of those makes us yeah. more lethal and more effective yeah. and, and more okay. ethical and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. Closer shots. And it's, uh, I, I believe it. And you know that, how, how much I use it and how much I just love it because it's a, it's a game changing technology that just makes you better as a hunter. And I'm all about that. The effectiveness you know, in our time. And I think that's Deercast the same way for the consumer at home. It's like, how do you stack up all these different tools in your toolbox and how can they make you more effective with less time available to you? And that's the reality of it. I mean, you know, obviously you and and Terry hunt a lot, you know, and, and get an opportunity that a lot of guys may not, but guys like Tim and I, when we think about getting out into the woods, we want to be out more, yeah, but between family work and, and work yeah. and just whatever obligations, this is not a reality. Things like this help you in being more effective when you do, do get to go. Big time. For, like for, pick yeah. the right day. That's right. The right yeah. things. You're really optimizing your odds yeah. to be out there. So, so. All right. All right. Your cast and scent crusher. (laughs) Cheers. See you next week. All right. (laughs) Until next time. Peace out. DeerCast is giving you the chance to hunt with Mark and Terry Drury. Head over to DeerCast.com to enter.